Good afternoon, everyone. It's been a little bit, but <clears throat> as I said, and things are getting busy for me in the summer, so content may be not as consistent. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, for those returning, welcome back. For those new here, my name is Alan. Amateur radio call sign N0ZFG. <coughs> Excuse me again. And this has reflected the amateur radio operator's miscellany, uh, where we kind of talk about everything. So, speaking of talking about everything, I kind of wanted to, I don't know, I guess we could start with a, a little bit of a recap, I guess, what I've been up to. Um, like I said, it's been, <clears throat> it's been super busy. You know, I've been doing a lot of refrigeration jobs. Um, a lot of, uh, man, a lot of, a lot of home repair. Holy crap. That's, that, that stuff just never ends. But, uh, <clears throat> making some headway on, uh, my, uh, uh, automatic antenna tuner project for my, uh, little Tar Heel 2. So, you know, basically consists of a, uh, small touch screen, um, and a microcontroller that will allow me to have some presets and some auto tuning and things like that for my, my screwdriver antenna. Um, I, I don't know. I've been doing a lot of cleaning too. That's for sure. Uh, I got a lot of, uh, motorcycle projects I want to get to, but I got to make room, uh, in the garage for everything. I have a very, very small garage. Um, it's so small. In fact, you can't fit the regular vehicles, the reg regular size vehicle in it. Um, so I, uh, gonna have to make do with what I have until I can afford to build a bigger garage. Anyway, <clears throat> I guess that's uh, kind of where I'm at. I guess uh, what is today's 7-4, uh, 2023, 4th of July, Independence Day. Happy Independence Day, everybody. So, I, uh, let's see. There's one thing I wanted to talk about. I'm sure everybody has heard about this um, by now, but it's this whole Ocean Gate, the Titan imploding. Um, and it's tragic that life had to be lost uh, in this in this event, um, but it was a million percent avoidable. Um, there was no good reason uh, this had to happen for a litany of reasons. I mean, uh, the list is very nearly endless as to what was done wrong and uh, where improvements could have been made. But this is an amateur radio podcast. How do we link this to amateur radio? And I would like to focus on the communications uh, side of thing. Um, so as of now, um, I guess with the information that I have, it sounds as if that uh, during descent, um, they lost communication, the, the Titan submersible. And it is a submersible, not a submarine. But the Titan submersible lost communication with their support vessel. Um, not long, uh, not long after, after uh, beginning descent. Um, the concerning thing, I mean, there's <laughs> it's concerning on a few levels, but uh, the main thing that concerns me about this is that did not trigger uh, an immediate abort. Um, if you are doing something that is known to be dangerous, like, you know. Um, 
doing deep submergence and, and you know you're going down to titanic where like i believe the water pressure is somewhere around the order of 5000 psi it's wanting to to crush you so if your main channel of communication or all your channel of communications with the surface uh, are interrupted uh, that 1000% should trigger an abort um, uh, not only should it be in the procedure that this trigger an abort there should be an automated system that um, after a certain amount of time of LOS um, the abort system is triggered automatically you know this to you know you never know maybe something happened to life support systems and the uh, crew has gone hypoxic and is unable to respond um, you know the support vessel could be the support vessel and the Titan could have been exchanging um, certain data parameters you know like in um, uh, like in modern locomotives you know they have the dead man switch they have to push this button every every few minutes or whatever you know you could have something like that where if a control is not operated or a button isn't pressed after a certain amount of time the abort system is automatically triggered um, so the frustrating part here is not only did this not trigger an abort um, they ran into this during testing it sounds like um, that's just mind-blowing that they ran into this issue during testing and instead of uh, rectifying it um, figuring out why they're experiencing LOS and what to do about it they just wrote it in the procedure as normal so on the day of the dive you know the, once they lost signal they just expected that after 10 hours or whatever the uh, duration of the mission was they would just regain signal and uh, everything would be good well that didn't happen <clears throat> so it's just I don't know that is so mind-blowingly lazy and ignorant and I I can't even really put into words how disgusting that is that you would run into an issue during testing and not resolve it and instead just write it in your procedure as a, a an SOP standard operating procedure that's just unbelievable uh, how is the crew supposed to communicate an issue with the surface that they cannot communicate that's um, just I <laughs> oh man it gets my blood pressure up thinking about that and sure from you know in our point of in our arena in amateur radio um, we aren't typically dealing with life or death situations such as this um, but I could imagine you know a world where uh, you know uh, a, an amateur radio operator is involved with a project like this um, and if I was involved with a project like this you can, you can bet uh, that I would be absolutely insisting on some sort of abort in the event of LOS or an auto abort in the event of a duration of LOS um, you're just, it's just incomprehensible um, that this would be allowed to continue like that so you know why why would you want uh, you know a 
a system like that, an auto abort or whatever. It, so I believe Stockton had said something to the effect of that he was going to be known for the rules he broke. Well, he certainly will be because um, it's just, I mean, <laughs> I know I've said it a hundred times already, but this is just mind blowing. He also said something to the effect of uh, you can't achieve great things without taking a little bit of risk. And I completely agree with that. Um, you know, uh, when astronauts were re-entering Earth's atmosphere, uh, you know, in the either um, during Apollo or um, the Gemini missions or even in a space shuttle, um, um, or even in, even in the Dragon capsule, I believe you still have a certain amount of LOS when they're re-entering the atmosphere due to the ionization uh, of the atmosphere during re-entry. Um, this, uh, this is expected. In this case, um, or in those cases, uh, there's nothing you can do about that. The, uh, um, the atmosphere, localized atmosphere around the spacecraft is so ionized that RF cannot penetrate it. So there's no way you could communicate with the surface. It's just physically impossible. Um, however, um, we're only talking about minutes that they're out of communication, minutes. And if they don't reestablish communication, you know, within that minutes time frame, or, you know, just shortly thereafter, um, there's, a, uh, uh, there's a contingency plan for that kind of stuff in place already. They're not going to wait 10 hours uh, before doing anything about it. Um, in this case, in the case of uh, Titan, uh, they were just going down the Titanic. Um, James Cameron went to Challenger Deep. Um, I forget how many miles down that is, um, but it's like 38 or 37 or 38,000 feet deep. Um, where you're dealing with like 18,000 PSI. It's trying to crush you and your, your, your craft. Um, but James Cameron and his team put, put in the hours, put in the engineering, uh, put into work uh, to build a uh, submersible uh, that could withstand that. And they didn't lose communication. Uh, they maintained communication throughout the entire voyage. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I believe James Cameron said that if they had lost communication, that would have triggered an immediate abort. Um, because the, the surface vessel is your lifeline. Your abort system is also your lifeline. Um, when you're doing things like that, pretty much everything is your lifeline. There is uh, zero room for error. Um, there is no forgiveness. So your plan, uh, forgive the pun, had better be airtight. So they just went, they were just going down the Titanic. Well, certainly a, a um, monumental task. It's, it's not like we haven't done it before. Uh, even James Cameron said it's on the scale of, uh, on, the, on the, grand in the grand scheme of things, it, it really wasn't that hard. We've been down there dozens of times. We know how to do it. But Stockton wanted to take, I don't know, it seems like he was a bit deluded in that he wanted to try new aerospace technologies and apply them to um, 
deep sea exploration. And while I applaud the, the innovation, uh, one must also understand that uh, components built for aviation are uh, designed around a certain set of criteria that um, just aren't seen uh, in deep submergence exploration. Um, you know, at Earth sea level, you're, you're dealing with 14 psi of pressure. Um, and it only can go down the higher you go in altitude. Um, so, I guess to look at it, you know, I look at it a different way. The pressure inside uh, your, your aircraft will, can get up to, you know, whatever atmosphere you have it set to. Usually, I think it's like 10,000 feet or something like that. They pressurize the cabins too. But your, so the inside of your craft has to deal with a positive pressure. Um, when you're doing deep submergence, or, um, the exterior environment is trying to crush your craft. And a lot of aerospace stuff was never designed to deal with that kind of, uh, of punishment, um, especially not to that extent. I mean, tens of thousands of PSI uh, in the case of Cameron's. And um, I think we were only talking, what, uh, what was it, 5,000 or 6,000 PSI down at Titanic. Um, there, there was a lot of engineering that should have been done that was not done. Um, I believe there's, there was an even, there was even a, <laughs> words are hard, a uh, engineer uh, on Stockton's team that was sounding many alarms about uh, the structural integrity concerns of using carbon fiber in this manner and he was he was fired so I don't know um, there's just so much willful ignorance uh, on the part of Stockton and unfortunately um, him and the four other individuals that believed in him uh, paid the ultimate price um and that's tragic. I mean, it absolutely is tragic. No one likes to have um, government regulations, right? No one likes to have government. I don't like having gov government regulations. But you run into, <laughs> you run into the issue where, uh, I'm going to say, less intelligent people. And maybe Stockton was a very smart person, but he was not intelligent in this case. Um, ruin it for everybody else, right? Poor decisions were made, corners were cut, and people died. As a result, we're likely to see more regulation uh, in this front. Um, the rest of the submersible community, you know, people like Cameron and, uh, and the like, uh, fully understood the dangers uh, involved with deep sea exploration. And they were prepared to do the engineering and, uh, and uh, construct their crabs in such a way that they could withstand, withstand those pressures. But, you know, I don't know if Stockton actually believed that his craft would survive this or, or what. But, and who knows? We may get some more, uh, well, we will get some more information on that as uh, the, the remains of the, of the submersible are recovered and analyzed. I believe the U.S. Coast Guard, they were going to do an investigation on it. I would really like the NTSB to do an investigation on it because they will leave no stone unturned. Um, they will probably turn the same stone several times 
uh, to get to the bottom of this. However, I don't know that NTSB will get involved in this case, uh, especially since um, OceanGate was registered in the Bahamas, and there's all sorts of shady stuff going on. It's just, it's really tragic, you know? It's really tragic. Um, <laughs> went off another tangent there, but how do we get this, let's loop this back around to amateur radio. Let's say, let's let's play a hypothetical here. Let's say you're doing a Skywarn activation, and and uh, you're communicating back and forth with uh, with uh, the Skywarn net control at the National Weather Service office, and uh, something happens to either the the uh, the radio equipment at the National Weather Service office um, or the local repeater or whatever you're using, and comms goes down. Uh, you have LOS loss of signal um, you are unable to communicate with net control what do you do um, you know um, I've always treated that as you've kind of lost your you've, you've lost a huge part of your, your visibility into what the storm is doing because uh, you're in communication with National Weather Service you know their, their office is full of professionals with uh, very high-end equipment that can see, you know, their, their radar image is up to date. Uh, it's not buffered data like what you're going to get in a cell phone app. No matter what anyone says, what app you're using, it's all buffered data. So uh, they have the latest and greatest stuff. Um, if you lose that, you kind of lose your situational awareness, your SA, um, to some extent. I mean, obviously, you can see out your window, um, kind of take stock of what's going on, but. In my area, the big bad storms usually roll through about two or three o'clock in the morning. Okay, so it's completely dark. So you don't have that visual cue, you know, except for lightning flashes as to uh, where this weather at weather is at. You know, you could have a tornado on the ground, you know, half a mile away from you, and you wouldn't know it because you can't see it except through the lightning flashes. Um, and even through the lightning flashes, you certainly can't uh, determine what direction it's heading if you if you've uh, you have no access to up-to-date radar um, if you've lost communication with your net controller. Um, so in our instance, when we lose, or if we lose uh, communication with net control, um, for us that triggers, that triggers an abort. Um, you return back to your, uh, your designated, uh, pretty much you just kind of go, there's, there's a couple phases to it. Either you go home, um, um, and you call net control by the phone um, or you call from where you're at and uh, ask for further instructions or whatever um, but technic uh, but by and large part it's going to trigger an abort the mission's, the mission's over um, so it's time for everyone to go home you know this also kind of depends on the weather you know if it's an extreme weather event um, you do need spotters on the ground, but that means that now you're going to have to switch over to a cellular uh, form of communication, uh, which in severe weather can be somewhat unreliable. Um, so there's that. Um, part of your redundancy process could be um, having backup repeater systems, backup radio equipment at the uh, National Weather Service. So maybe you've got a primary radio and you've got a secondary radio. They're both on the same frequencies. You just got to flip an antenna switch. Uh, to change radio equipment 
Uh, maybe we have an entirely separate system, you know, a radio, a, a feed line, an antenna. You've got two, two, two totally separate systems, uh, which then uh, interact with two totally separate repeaters. So you have uh, redundant redundancies. <laughs> uh, that would be the ideal case, you know, and then as a spotter in the field, maybe you've got, uh, you've got your mobile radio, but you've also got a portable, you know, should it come down to maybe a mag mount you can quick chuck up on the roof of your, of your vehicle. Uh, to, to extend your range um, you know there's uh, there's all there's all sorts of different things uh, uh, that you can do to uh, formulate your backup plans and you absolutely have to have a backup plan no there's no law that says you have to but you have to <laughs> I mean um, you have to have a backup plan um, no plan A ever survives initial contact with the enemy, okay? You are always going to be resorting to a, some form of plan B or plan C or whatever, um, but you need to have those uh, plans and procedures in place. If you don't, um, it's going to turn into an every man for himself situation, and that's where lives start getting lost, especially in a severe weather event in the dark. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe part of your procedure is you don't do severe weather uh uh, events in the dark, you know, you just don't send spotters out in those conditions and that's totally acceptable. You know, um, this is amateur radio after all that we're all volunteers. I mean, there's nothing that says we have to do this. We don't have to put, uh, risk our, risk our lives for this sort of thing. Um, but a great many of us do, um, uh, you know, for, you know, like people like me are on a volunteer fire department. Uh, we're just kind of used to doing this stuff as in a, you know, in a volunteer form. Um, some people aren't and that's totally fine. So I guess the moral of the story is you need to have, you need to have a backup plan. You need to have a minimum of a plan B, a bare minimum of a plan B. You should have a plan B, uh, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E, <laughs> you know, um, redundant, I'd like to make, you know, the joke is redundant redundancies. It's not a bad idea, folks. It really isn't. Um, that first time where you have your, your main, your main system go down, um, there's that brief minute, a couple moments where no one can talk to each other and then everyone switches over to the backup system and everything's back up and running, uh, like it's supposed to be. And, uh, it's an amazing feeling. Uh, you know, uh, that definitely gets you one step closer out of amateur realm, <laughs> out of uh, amateur land and in the professional land. Um, so absolutely have redundant redundancies. Um, to, it, it's a, uh, I, I would like to say it's a requirement. I really would. If you're going to be, especially if you're going to be nighttime operations for Skywarn, you absolutely need to have a few plan backup plans and some backup equipment and uh, things like that. So, Always have an escape plan. Remember, if the trainer looks like it's not moving, it's coming straight at you. <laughs> anyway, I think this has gone on long enough. We're almost at the 25-minute mark here. So I hope everybody is having a fantastic day, a fantastic Independence Day. I hope all, everybody is doing well. hope the weather is nice wherever you're at. <laughs> Um, we are all so fortunate 
to be on this planet and to have what we have, uh, to enjoy the freedoms that we have. Never take anything for granted. Never take anything for granted. Um, and when you're going into situations without a backup plan, that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking things for granted. And uh, that's a terrible way to go out. Um, remember, it's not just, it's not about you. Uh, it's about your family. It's about your community. Um, everybody wants you to come home safely. So don't take this stuff lightly. Okay. Anyway, uh, my name is Alan. This is uh, Reflected. Episode number nine, N0ZFG, out.